Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of November 27th, 2022. So one thing that I'll start that I'm uh, happy for or excited about was uh, movie marathons, including 80s and 90s movies. So a lot of them hold up a little bit better than I was expecting. And, you know, Beetlejuice is still has some of the best music out there. So <laughs> that very excited to be working on some panel stuff in general. I'm going to try and do some stuff around facilitating, but I'm also trying to make sure I provide the space for some really great people to discuss things where I'm not involved. There was the recent data contracts discussion led by JGP. Eric Broda is working on a few different meetups that are going to include some kind of panel discussions. And then there will be a panel um, on this podcast and then hopefully as well on the Data Mesh Learning YouTube about data modeling and data mesh. And we're hopefully going to record that in, in the very near future. So as we transition over to foundation leading the community around data mesh learning, you know, with my assistance still, of course, I'm hoping we have more and more of these types of panels and that we provide more and more space for people to kind of share their opinions, share their learnings and, and things like that. So do reach out if you want to participate, if you want to participate in being on a panel, if you want to set up a panel. We're also looking at one around data user, data user experience or ducks. And so like there's just a lot of great ideas and it's pretty easy to get people together to do a panel and to kind of move things forward. And if you also really care about data contracts, I'm getting kind of tired of the uh, there not being a kind of centralized thing around that, uh, a, a place for discussion and things like that. So I'm going to do kind of a big shove where I'm not going to own it, but I'm going to shove uh, a lot of things together and get that momentum going instead of just random one-off talks. So if you're interested in being part of that and being part of the core and kind of building your big data brand around that, get in touch. I don't want to do a lot of the uh, actual kind of outward facing work, but I'll get everything moving on that. So what's on top for this week on the actual podcast? On Monday, it's going to be episode 160, Empathetic Upskilling and Data Literacy, Get Your Data Bootcamp Going, which is an interview with Alex Bross, who's at Fifth Third Bank. You know, a high empathy and high energy conversation about how can we get our teams to a place where they are learning to leverage data, you know, especially the data consumers. How can we bring our data consumers up to a level where they can make decisions more data informed? Not that everyone becomes a data engineer, but giving them the tools to go and add value today to what they're doing with data. On Tuesday, it's going to be episode 161, which is announcing 3i, which is implementers interviewing implementers, which is Mesh Musings number 36. So exciting times ahead. You know, as I said, we're getting a lot of things going. 
This is going to be an interview series, a new video interview series by the data mesh learning community where implementers actually just interview other implementers. So if you'd like to be one of the people who is interviewing, if you'd like to be one of the interviewees, get in touch, right? This stuff doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be something where we make a huge deal out of this, but people have these specific questions and these specific things of, hey, did you run into this? What about this? How did you make this decision? Those are the types of questions that even I can't really get to and ask very well on the podcast simply because I'm not implementing myself. On Friday, it's going to be episode 162, Creating Data FOMO, or you know, Fear of Missing Out, and Keeping Close to the Business, an interview with Dasil Hernandez, who is at Nagaro. Um, it's a fun and relaxed conversation about how to create that fear of missing out relative to your data work. How do you get people coming to you saying they need to participate instead of you going to them and <laughs> begging them, please, please <laughs> work with me on this? And how can we stay close to the business when you do get them to participate? Let's not lose that sight of the business reason for the work. So with that, on to the extended summaries for this week's interview episodes. Extended summary for episode 160, Empathetic Upskilling and Data Literacy. Get your data boot camp going. An interview with Alex Bross. So in this episode, I interviewed Alex, who's the VP of Data Engineering at Fifth Third Bank. To be clear, though, Alex was only representing his own views on the episode. Alex started the conversation with an important message that often gets lost in data-related discussions. Let's start from empathy. Almost all people want to help each other and work together. Most will want to share their context with each other. So it's important to start from that. Being able to understand someone's context is crucial, crucial to sharing your own context with them. So when thinking about data mesh, Alex, Alex thinks it's, it makes sense to look at microservices and how people felt and behaved and learned during that transition on the operational side. How did we upskill people for DevOps? What were effective patterns and what were the not so effective ones? And as Jmac has discussed with her approach to data mesh, we need to decontextualize those approaches and learnings from software development and DevOps and then recontextualize them for data. Easier said than done and not that easily said, <laughs> but still we have a, a lot of good and well-documented history to learn from. So, you know, as Alex is saying, go and, and really figure out how people were feeling and what pushbacks they had because you're going to have similar pushbacks here. A focus on quarterly results is another aspect Alex feels is important to recognize. There is a real sense of urgency around that, but there is also a desire to not rock the boat too much. We can't do data mesh in a quarter. Combining those two aspects, we need to break data mesh work into more manageable and understandable pieces, those kind of nice milestones. You can't do all the disruption at once as it will create chaos. When looking for a place to start to get started with data mesh, Alex 
recommends looking for domains that either are having real business pain and pretty urgently need to change or domains that are very willing to take on change. If a team is having lots of issues, you can quickly add value and alleviate some pain. If they are very willing, it obviously makes things easier. And then, of course, take the stories of successful change and use them to entice other teams, right? But according to Alex, if a team is having issues with change, you should look to what's blocking them. It's easy to try to throw additional change at them, but that's just more burden when they're already struggling, already underwater. Tim Tischler talked about this in his episode too. Go in with empathy to help them. That will win them over. Anchor to the idea of being a catalyst for change. Catalyst is something that lowers the effort needed to achieve change, right, in in chemistry. And look to manage feelings because it's scary to think that what you are doing as part of your role won't be relevant. Watch out for that and work with them to see it as the less valuable pieces going away, not their importance, not their job. Alex is quite excited about some of the new data technology on the data consumption side. It's starting to feel like the tech is finally catching up to the software side in terms of some tooling on on data consumption. Data consumers are much more digital and data literate than historically. And with low code and no code offerings, with a bit of training, business users are able to actually get to and leverage data for generating insights. One note here is Jamak has said she is skeptical of low-code, no-code tooling in general, but that has typically been her talking about on the data production side. I'm not sure where she comes down on the consumption side, and I don't have a, a point of a, uh, a view on that just yet. So when Alex and team looked at where they were having the biggest challenges around data, it was consumability. Data consumers weren't comfortable trusting the data, couldn't really understand the data, couldn't always find the data, etc. And the data changes were centralized with the data team itself. While that is a common situation, the data team owning changes when they don't have the context of the use case or the context of the source systems, it just wasn't scaling well for them. You know, again, common story, right? Because of the data issues, data consumers were the hungriest for change, and Alex and team decided to set up a boot camp to level up data consumers. With more knowledge or higher data literacy, data consumers were excited to be able to understand the data more, make changes on their own, right? Thus not relying on the centralized data team and trust the data more, et cetera. Pushing the idea of finding your failures fast and being okay with issues and failures in data is something Alex is pushing, right? Perfect is the enemy of good. So putting something out and then stress testing it as is far better than you know theoretically sound but untested work. With a fast feedback loop, they were able to quickly adjust their data boot camp when they heard learning SAS before SQL made it very difficult to understand SAS at all, for, for instance. Alex shared some interesting learnings from the boot camps they are doing thus far. Number one, focus on practical application and let people get their hands dirty now rather than teaching only theory. Time shouldn't only be spent in the classroom as well. They should be spending that time uh, to be working on, on things around data, right? So they get their hands dirty. Number two, look for those fast feedback loops. It's pretty easy 
to, uh, again, try to um, put out the perfect thing or not take in information and iterate because that's not what we've done in data. Number three, work to ensure people can take the time off necessary to actually focus on learning. It's easy to add more things onto a schedule, but not put things off, right? You need that kind of headroom, that cognitive load for people to actually learn. Number four, people really do want to learn to use data. They just aren't sure how without some structure. Number five, similar to number three, cognitive load is a very dangerous thing for boot camps. Don't overburden your people or all you're doing is pushing information at them when they can't handle it. They can't take it in. And number six, let people know they don't have to retain the exact specifics versus the knowledge on how to leverage data. You won't remember every function by heart and you shouldn't have to. You know, no software engineer does either. According to Alex, steering the conversation away from ownership towards getting someone excited about learning a new skill has worked well. Instead of, I need you to do X, I guess I will train you. Instead, they're starting from training new skills to unlock additional capabilities, and people are far more willing to take on using those new skills. People are so excited to go unlock more value and do cool things with their new skills. And they'll layer in responsibility and ownership as those people learn more and apply their skills. So again, this is about instead of trying to push ownership to people, which is something I've been talking about is is an anti-pattern and doesn't work well. Instead, you want to get them to to feel comfortable and to feel excited that that they're going to be working with data and then start to layer in that that ownership, start to, to hand it over bit by bit instead of, again, it's not a switch you flip. It's not a one or a zero. So getting to viable, valuable use cases is not very hard, according to, to Alex. He recommends just asking people what's frustrating them and then synthesize, you know, kind of the answers into use cases that you can potentially address. That's actually what they're doing in the boot camp, having people find use cases before coming into the training and then spending half their time during the boot camp working on tackling those use cases, getting them some real world situations to try to apply their new skills to. And if something uh, already does exist around that use case, then they contribute by augmenting it or writing documentation or something similar. You know, they're creating real world impact milestones as they're going through this boot camp instead of, okay, you've now graduated here, go log into your SQL. They're doing it in the middle of it, right? It's pretty easy to feel like you might be left behind if your team isn't framing data work the right way, according to Alex. Instead of pointing out exactly where to fix or that things are changing or they need to upskill, he looks to create the environment for them to realize things aren't great instead and have the realization that they want to go fix it themselves, regardless of the issue. Alex believes there are three main barriers to change, logic, credibility, and emotion. Most people try to appeal at most to two of the three. And in data, we often forget to manage emotion out of those. And it's really important. And there is a heck of a lot of change involved in people's roles and work when it comes to data mesh in the long run. As stated, it doesn't all change at once, but you need to work with people to work through the change. Don't look to skimp on hitting all three of, again, logic, credibility, and emotion. To get a big data literacy program approved like Alex did, look to whose incentives align with it and work with them. 
always start from how is this beneficial to the person who gives the green light? You can give them the choice of do we try to hire our way to data literacy or do we train uh, and upskill our current people? It might feel faster to hire, but probably isn't. And it's probably way more expensive. For Alex specifically, though, the team was pretty bought in, so we didn't have to go to a heroic effort, thankfully. Some quick tidbits to wrap up on. If you want to get a data boot camp approved, write a business case for it. I know this doesn't feel like something that data people typically want to do, but if there's a business case, then execs want to know and they want to invest in that, right? If there's a good return on investment. Currently, Alex is encouraging a building block approach to everything. It's easy to fall into trying to scale too early, but you do have to prepare for scaling if you're successful. Quote unquote, training a team for two weeks slows them down for two weeks. Not training a team slows them down forever. Think about how you want to invest in your teams and that you you can't be training 100% of the time, but it's still, it's something where you have to invest in your people so that they can continue to progress. And it helps with retention and all that other stuff. Basic blocking and tackling questions, you know, those frequently asked questions are probably the biggest stumbling blocks for most people in data mesh. How to get access to system X or system Y or whatever. Look for uh, patterns in those questions and try to address them through automation. This one comes up a lot as well. If like, look for the friction points and try and automate away from those instead of trying to answer every potential question ahead of time. Extended summary for episode 162, Creating Data FOMO and Keeping Close to the Business, an interview with Dacil Hernandez. So in this episode, I interviewed Dacil, who is the Director of Data and AI for Northwest Europe at Nagaro. So Dacil started out by calling herself a purple person, meaning not red or blue, not only technical or only business focused, but a combination. As part of that, she echoed many past guests. The tech is the easy part. Creating value is the hard bit. It's easy to lose focus on creating value and playing with the cool toys, building really amazing things. But do they create business value? It is crucial to have business counterparts as key partners, key stakeholders in your data mesh journey, according to Docile. You know, some are trying to just forge ahead with just the data team. It is so easy for IT and the business side to get disconnected, for use cases and needs to change, but the data getting shared doesn't change. And with everyone saying business first, we are still focusing on tech far too often. Dasa likened data practices to being a teenager. We keep hearing business first, but don't listen. We do what we want, right? (laughs) And we need to really get crisp on what business first actually means. Dasso believes it's crucial to get out of the IT desk request data loop kind of we've been stuck in for so long, right? The business needs to come to the 
table and we need to bring them to the table. If the business side isn't part of the conversations, you can't get them to understand what data ownership means. They may say they will take on the responsibility, but they can't really grasp how to do it well. So we need to partner with them to get what we need, and we need to work with them to improve their understanding and their capabilities around data ownership. You know, quote unquote, I need your help to help you is something core to Docile's work with the business. Too often, IT is left to wait for requests instead of working together to get what people need. It can unlock a number of additional use cases, too, if you, if you can actually go in and have this helpful conversation with each other. When creating or improving a data strategy, Docile recommends including incentives that mean people see, feel the need to participate. Leverage a fear of missing out or, or FOMO, right? Uh, make sure people understand what will happen and the rules of engagement. Find the incentives to get them to participate by adding value back to them. Of course, easier said than done. Docile mentioned an interesting idea a company is implementing, using gamification to find data quality issues. So instead of it being, you know, this really bad thing to discover that there was a data quality issue, uh, the people who found the issues got rewards. So that also will drive better data consumer literacy and drive up trust. They're checking data for does this make sense instead of just consuming data and learning in the process. Where else could friendly competition or gamification work in data? Look to create friendly and positive energy around your data work and show how it contributes to company value too. For far too long, we've had a vicious and costly cycle of bad requirements and requests leading to bad results and data, according to Docile. So we need to ask far more questions. Why do you really need this? As as Alla Hale mentioned in her episode, not in a pushback way, she said, you know, quote unquote, what would having this unlock for you? So take what they are looking for and why and repeat it back to make sure you are on as close to the same page as possible and then keep communicating while you are building. Drive to that small prototype to make sure you are driving towards value together and aligning on expected outcome. There's a maturity level to differentiating between what people want and what they say they want in Docile's experience. And it is also hard to differentiate between what they say they want and what they are trying to achieve. Always dig in to what are they trying to achieve, or you will create lots of wasted work. Again, have the conversation. It's very easy to measure the wrong thing in data quality, according to Docile. She brought up an example where phone number was 100% complete for every record, but most of them were not real phone numbers. So someone said they had perfect quality based on there was something in the field, but it was unusable. It's wrong information. So when you look to data quality measurements, tie again to value. What is actually valuable here? If it's operational data plane, that might be speed that's a value. If it's you know a mailing address for sending out holiday cards to all your customers, accuracy is probably better than completeness. If a few clients don't get a card, that's probably better than sending out you know lots of these cards to fake addresses. In Docile's experience, business is typically the first 
team to notice data quality issues, and that means their trust is broken. Trust is hard to build, but much harder to rebuild. How can you be data-driven if you don't trust your data? People need to understand that issues will come up, but put the rules in place and show the business that you did to prevent that same issue from happening again. It was a data downtime incident. Treat it just like you would a software incident. A few other tidbits to wrap up on. Data ownership is often treated like a hot potato. No one wants to end up with it, right? You can't throw that responsibility to the business and expect them to know how to handle it or be on board with handling. Talk to potential data consumers before creating a data quantum or anything similar in data. You won't know what you can offer that will be valuable to them until you know what they want. So have the conversation, drill into what is of value and why, then collaborate together to drive to that value. It's easy to lose sight that optimizing to turnaround time doesn't typically optimize time to actual value, and you create hard to support data assets. You know, if you're in such a focus to put something into production, the value is typically not really there. Break your changes into much smaller pieces. Big changes are more prone to failure and are just harder in general. Make incremental, small-scale progress. Measure if centralization is actually your challenge before looking at implementing data mesh. If it's not, will data mesh be worth it for you? I think that's a very valid question that we need people to be asking more often. And finally, really think if you are mature enough to really do federated governance and decentralized data ownership. Centralized governance is a bottleneck, but that will likely be far better than chaos if you aren't ready.